Today on Panelism, we are decisively and absolutely answering the question, why art? Welcome to Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey. Hello. We have been chatting for more than an hour. <laughs> and <laughs> I interrupted you because I was like, we should just record this. Um, and and I thought it was interesting because our, the last episode we actually recorded together was sort of a, uh, you know, what is your stay at home playlist? And you just were in the just getting started on a on a um, a tear about how your podcast listening habits have changed. Uh, <laughs> get into it. <laughs> I'll just jump in. Yeah, yeah. If we had a whole other extended conversation that you oh, know yeah. we, may, we may flesh out again at another point in time but i no it's interesting being um being sort of uh not sort of being sequestered at home for most of my day um i have more opportunity than not to listen to stuff music podcasts etc but i was out for a walk and i've been going on this beautiful hike behind my house pretty much daily and it's about an hour hike it's gorgeous i you know right you know kind of off of manitou i don't even have to drive i can just walk over there get on it get back and i usually have my airpods in and i usually have a podcast episode i listen to on the hike well on friday i was doing the hike and i just i had uh actually encountered a new album by this duo called the cactus blossoms i don't know if you know who they are oh, no i don't um if you are interested in retro west coast country uh i highly recommend this duo they are fantastic i've I've been telling people they're like a combination of the eagles the everly brothers and a little bit of marty robbins all rolled into one it's um it's fantastic and they have an album that came out last year called i think easy way so if you're wanting something specific to listen to but all that to be said i was my my hike was more enjoyable than it otherwise would be and it kind of started this cascade of revelations about the fact that I just haven't been listening to enough music lately. Like I used, you know, usually my my audio consumption is I would say, you know, historically 70% music, 30% podcasts. I think in the last 3 to 6 months that has gone to 10% music, 90% podcasts. So and you're trending this way even before the pandemic lockdown. I was. Yeah, probably since about New Year's. Um I was trending this way and then the the lockdown just made it yeah. Even more so because everybody's putting out new episodes. It seems like daily. Yeah. Jesus. And then they're all yeah. COVID related and I don't listen to all of oh them. Oh my but, God. No kidding. Um, you know, there's, there's just more content now. Cause I think the people who do shows who I normally listen to their home too. So they're putting out more content cause they have nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, and so I've just been listening to you a lot and it, it, in addition to just thinking or knowing that my podcast consumption has gone way, 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 way up. I started to think about like, well, how many, what, what am I listening to? And it's a lot of really heady, you know, very kind of deep intellectual stuff. Um, everything from like Brett and Eric Weinstein to Sam Harris to uh, pod, podcasts that take an intricate, deep look at the stock market. Um, G Zero World with Ian Bremmer, like all of these like very serious, very important 
uh, podcast. There's another one called Artificial Intelligence with Lex Friedman, uh, the Jim Rutt Show. All of these, and they're great shows. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not slamming any of them. They're wonderful. But when you start to listen to every one of these things in you know, and you every episode of every show, your entire day is consumed with just listening to these crazy, highly you know, very forward thinking, relevant intellectual conversations, and you're not taking a break. There's yeah. not, there, there's not a mental breather. And then I started thinking, well, what, how did this happen? Because when I first started really getting back into podcasts again, um, you know, kind of around 2011, 2012, when kind of this wave that we're living in kind of started, I think. Yeah. And if, and we, I think we've talked about this on the show before of how, you know, we've been aware of podcasts for almost 20 years now, but it yeah. was only in like 2011 or something that the all the software and apps started to like really coalesce and make it easier to, you know, listen rather than like a Google reader thing where I'd subscribe to RSS feeds of podcasts and down had to download individual episodes and then offload them to an iPod or something. But go ahead. Sorry. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, but like I mean, back in the day, the Adam Curry show and then, um, you know, there's. I think early, early Ricky Gervais was, you know, kind of that yeah, 2004 yeah, yeah. to 2006 period. So they were around and I enjoyed them. But like when I first jumped back in in a big, bad way, about 10 years ago now, actually, um, it was it was really there were I probably had maybe five shows total I listened to. And they were all kind of frivolous, like the Kevin Smith's mm-hmm. Modcast, which is wonderful, but it's very funny. And it's very sort of, you know, pop culture-y. Um, you know, whatever Ricky Gervais was doing at the time, uh, you know, the lost, you know, the TV show lost podcast. So it was stuff like that, right? It was stuff that didn't require a lot of bandwidth and it was just more entertaining. Like I could just listen and like be doing other shit, like cooking or cleaning or working. And it just would be on in the background. Sometimes I would listen to those episodes multiple times because I didn't, Oh my God, that original Ricky Gervais show that he did for like the guardian or whatever, like it was just like 10 episodes where he all met Carl Pilkington. I I just (laughs) would replay those constantly to listen to monkey news. Oh my God. And I still do from time to time. I think I kind of like the office, like the U S office. I just, I listened to it so much that I started like quoting it, like (laughs) as it was happening. Are Um, you now, was it because it had more of a radio quality in those early days where they, and now it's more of a documentary quality. Do you think that's one of the things? Um, maybe I also think that like in the early days, a lot of the smart people who are doing podcasts now just either didn't have the notion or the know-how or, or the tech just, or the tech where we're just scared to put their thoughts out there in a regular mm. basis. So I, and, and granted that there were a couple big, big hitters who started doing podcasts that sort of paved the way for a lot of these other public intellectuals to, to jump in and do their own shows too. So it was, it was a combination of a lot of stuff, but I, I look at my kind of my, my, podcast queue now and it's you know smodcast is still there and fat man on batman are still there but i would say everything else is very you know kind of that intellectual you know high high heady stuff so i'm i'm spending you know four to five hours a day just ingesting all that stuff yeah and it's creating i realized it's it's doing this thing to my brain where like everything is viewed through that lens of like everything is important and everything has to be thought of at a high level and like there's kind of an urgency around everything I look at and take in. And, and it just became, it became so left brain that I think I've, I've gotten exhausted. So then all this to be said, when I was out on that hike, listening to music while walking almost seemed like a novel thing again. Like, Oh wow, this is enjoyable. (laughs) Like I don't have to, I can actually like give my, my brain some space to play and, and just sort of relax again. And I took that pretty seriously to the point where 
I wrote down all the shows I was subscribed to. So if I ever wanted to find them again, I could. But I stripped everything down to six up, just six shows total. Wow. Okay. So let me ask you this. Prior to the strip down, what was the app you were listening to your podcast in? Uh, Pocket Cast, and okay. that is still the same. I, and I still, that's my preferred one. Does it allow you to create different playlists or cues or anything? It used to let me do playlists when they, okay. NP, NPR bought it like two years ago, and then okay. they did an update about a year ago where they took the playlist functionality out, sadly. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a bummer. So um, I can star wow. episodes, but I can't like create playlists and stuff in that Interesting. way. Interesting. Okay. So, so what I did was I've got Stitcher as my, has been my main podcast consumption for uh, probably almost uh, more than a year, you know, um, I pay for the pro version. So I have those, um, I can't remember what they call them, but they're, they're basically playlists, but it's like when I subscribe to a show, I just choose a list to put it on. So I have like a favorites playlist that's all kind of, you know, e easy to digest stuff. And then I have like a news playlist and then I have like a series playlist where it's, you know, a lot of like, if I, you know, uh, more in-depth series where I'm, I want to listen to the whole series all at once. And then I have like a, you know, interviews playlist where it's like, because I realize like I can't have these all just showing up like in a feed because, you know, I'm listening to some uh, chewy bubblegum kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden comes on like a long interview with a, some, you know, someone, something very intellectual, just exactly like you're talking. It's like, I'm not in the mood for this right now. Yeah. So I, I think that consumption, I'm interested in like how people consume it. And, uh, yeah, sorry. I feel like I derailed you with that. Oh, no, that's okay. And actually while you were talking, <laughs> I, I remembered, I haven't tried out Stitcher for a while. So I'm, I'm downloading just to compare again. Well, um, let me tell you this Google podcast that I had written off, like, six months ago or something. And, and I'm not saying it's because of me people, but <laughs> I had several times during Google podcasts. I love the simplicity of like, it's just a feed. It's like every, everything just in chronological order, but I, it drove me crazy that I couldn't um, add things to any kind of playlist or queue. They introduced a queue recently. I don't know why they're doing this because who knows how long Google products last. We could rant yeah, about seriously. that for two hours, but I, had been using Google podcasts for the past couple of months to listen specifically to, and this is so geeky, uh, actual play podcasts of role-playing games. Because mm -hmm. if I'm following a story in one of those, I often just want to go to the show itself and then go in like reverse chronological or, you know, sorry, chronological order. So I need to like, you know, scroll down to the bottom of the show, find the episode I left off on and just hit play and let it just sort of go through, you know, I can't, I can't have it go through like a, you know, what's most recent. I want to hear where I, where I left off. Sure. Um, a serial kind of podcast, you know? Um, well, now they've just got this queue feature, which makes me think, well, I should start switching over some of the series and other things that I listen to back to Google podcasts so that when a new episode comes out, I'm like, oh, just add that to the queue. And then, I, you know, I'm almost sort of making a master playlist of like everything I want to, I want to listen to. But all of us say, the reason I interrupted you uh, 10 minutes ago before we were recording was because during our um, uh, lockdown, I have actually those first couple weeks, you know, it was like the series podcast just started falling off my radar, like anything. I mean, not even if it was like current events, but anything like heady and intellectual. I was like, I just can't handle it right now. Is that then, now, is that because you didn't the, the current time we're living is stressful enough or you just I think have so. other things to do? No, I, I well, I think it was a. Um, 
a lot of, you know, because of some subtle changes, although like I'm a freelancer and I work, you know, out of my home or like in a coffee shop or something, not anymore, but, um, (laughs) you know, I'm not always in an office, but I, it used to be that I was in a space where I could listen to a podcast, have it on the background while I'm doing my work and sort of ingest it that way. And during the pandemic, because I'm at home and because my clients are very amped up about emergency and critical communications and things like that, it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm already dealing with a higher level of stress. I can't put something in my ears that's, you know, even if it's not current events, you know, I can't listen to a serial killer podcast or something because it's like serious (laughs) stuff. That's like, you know, now I'm getting like a double dose of emergency hormones all the time. Yeah. So I, for a couple weeks there, I just went hardcore into RPG podcasts and was picking up like, you know, games that I like, I was like, Oh, just let me, I want to check out this game. Let me listen to an actual play podcast about it or whatever it was. You know, let me see how this cast handles this adventure that I heard on another podcast, whatever. But for the past three, four weeks or something like after that first week of the lockdown, I pretty much went solid music and Mm. there are only like two or three podcasts that I'm even listening to now. Interesting. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I kind of had this flip. So that's why I wanted to, you know, inter- interrupt your flow before we started recording and say, I think that's actually an interesting thing to put on here. I know the first week of the lockdown, a friend commented to me like, oh, you know, you just can't escape news. I even tuned into panelism and you guys were talking about like your stay at home playlist. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. We've <laughs> contributed to that in a way that we thought was sort of, you know, a relief from it. Um, but I, I quickly noticed the same thing in that week of like every podcast I listened to mentioned, well, we're staying at home and here's our pot, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Oh man, you just can't, you just don't want to hear that news all the time. You know, it's like, I just, a little escapism the, is healthy. What was the, yeah, exactly. And I think coming up later in, in this show, we have such a great escapist book to discuss that we've both read. So, um, I thought, do you think, or how much were your podcast habits, and this recent um, paring down of everything, how much of that was influenced by the world we live in right now? Um, I would say maybe 25% because okay. the frequency in which, like I said, some of these shows are putting out content now probably wouldn't be as high were we not in, in, in COVID times. Right. Um, but at the same point, like this was, this was, but this would have, I would have gotten here anyway right, at some right, point right, this year. Right. It's just like when you take in, when, when, and it was even affecting my productivity. Like I'd be listening to something that was, you know, maybe a two hour episode on a really juicy topic and they were dissecting it down. And, um, you know, I'd realize like, I'm not getting nearly as much done as I used to, like what happened? And then just, I'd get in the cycles where I'd wake up, I'd make my morning coffee and I would put on like Spotify has a thousand different amazing jazz playlists. So I'd you know have my jazz on and that would be my music for the day. And that's it. So yeah. I wouldn't even be listening to like, you know, music that I truly liked listening to. It was just more like very dutiful, like listening to my jazz and my podcast. And then that's it. Hmm. And it sounds a little weird saying this because we host podcasts, you know, yeah. and so you do, I don't want to I, I want to be careful about not just dismissing the medium. That's not my point. But it's no, I, no, think, no. Exactly. I think there is this it, there's a listener responsibility that I didn't anticipate that because we're living in a time where there is so much amazing content, I kind of have to, I have to double down on being a good curator and really, you know, understanding the balance more than anything. I think 
you, earlier on, it was easy to go, oh, I'll subscribe to this. I like this. I'll yeah. subscribe to this. I like this. Now I have to really think like, okay, I, ha- I already have two shows that talk about artificial intelligence and like, you know, the future <laughs> of humanity. I probably don't need a third one. Or if I yeah. do, you know, maybe I should, which of those three is the best one and just listen to that one. Or like, I'm, I'm kind of a follower of this, uh, this uh, philosophy slash lifestyle called Game B. And there's a lot of people who host Game B related podcasts about, you know, where does society go from here and how do we do all all this stuff? And yeah, some of that's hinged on COVID um, or at least it's making it more juicy to to think about, but probably don't need three of those either. You know, I just think (laughs) getting, getting back to a a sense of balance, I will, I'm going to make a very hard tangent into comics though, because this is something I thought about with comics as well. Yeah. I, uh, right before lockdown, I went to, I've talked about the uh, the store here in Colorado Springs, uh, Escape Velocity, who hosts our book clubs, and I've had a, you know, I've had Daniel on from Escape Velocity, and hopefully we'll have a few more. But um, they had a second store on the east side of town that uh, closed down before before right COVID. Before, so they actually yeah. it was great timing. Um, so the, fortunately, um, they don't have to worry about that store. But uh, I I bought a huge stack of stuff there, and you know it was all great stuff. But I got home and I'm like, man. I've got books on my shelf that I love, but I will probably never read again. And I don't know, maybe it's better if I deliberately pare down my whole comics collection to something a little bit more manageable. Cause I, when I first started getting back into comics, when we first started doing this podcast, uh, when it was, you know, originally the Todd and Taylor show in like what, 2016, 2015, yeah, Jesus. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, my collection was probably a fourth, if not a fifth of what it currently is. And, I kind of oddly took more enjoyment from all my books then than I, I still enjoy them now, but I think there's so many of them. It's kind of like, yeah. it gets hard to keep track on what haven't I read? What have I read? And then there's a giant TBR pile next to it. Yeah. So it's just like, maybe I should be more deliberate across every dimension of my media and, and, and consumption and just be really super, you know, super, um, uh, I'll use the word deliberate again, super yeah. deliberate about, you know, curation and understanding that. And I think, I well, think that is a huge uh, something we never really anticipated about a culture where there's so much amazing <laughs> stuff to consume. Yeah, I, I, and I was gonna say I was that leads right into what I was gonna bring up as uh, related. To that was uh, we, you know, we we've heard things about like the the paradox of choice and this this thing in digital consumption where there's just so much to consume. But I think there's the flip side of that, or the, uh, or you know, a related factor is then there's the anxiety of the TBR pile. Mm-hmm. For me, the the sundoku, of, or I think that's the Japanese term for the you know stacks of books that pile up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I feel that not only about books or shows, you know, and podcasts. Like I look at when just talking to you, when I pulled up Stitcher to look at my example playlists, I realized like, oh my god, there's like like. There's a there's so many shows on there where I haven't even listened to it. I just know like, oh, that sounds like something I'd be interested in. Subscribe, put it in this mm-hmm. playlist. I'll get to it later. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm adding more things to those lists <laughs> than I am listening to. So yeah, right? there's literally no time for me to listen to all those things. And I need to be a deliberate, as you said, and like diligent about just clearing them out. You know, like just recognize you declaring the old uh, the old term, you know, of email bankruptcy where people would just 
Yeah. I don't know if you ever remember those like minimalists that would, they would send like an auto reply to everyone and say, Hey, if I've not responded to your email, please send it again. Cause I've deleted it where they would just yeah. like wipe their whole inbox because it was like, I'll never get to all this shit and I can't figure out what's actually important to me to respond to. So I'm just deleting it all. Now you know? I don't recommend two things. One, hopefully nobody's deleting this podcast as they're listening to this episode <laughs> going, Oh my God, I, I don't really listen to panels as much. Listening. Please, this is absolutely essential listening. But I also don't think everybody – like the idea is not to Marie Kondo all your books and, and give them all away except for five. Like that's not the yeah. solution. I, that's too far the other way. So it's like there's a, there is a sort of I – mean, maybe maybe it's a Western culture thing, that you know, a tool we need to develop living in a Western society where we just need to be more mindful about – curation about you know yeah. when, when you buy a book maybe a book goes away you know or you yeah. know just kind of well keeping things in in manage so that you truly appreciate them at a deeper level and then you know when it be becomes obviously clear to, to add something new you do well if anything that is the subtext to all panelism episodes because you have been ahead of this uh, and had had already talked to me so much about it before we started a podcast, which was like, we need a better curation engine. Yes. You know, and, and I think before we were doing the podcast, you were thinking about it in terms of like, you know, a, what, what is this, a blog or is it like a search engine or is it something that curates the best of or the most, you know, it's, you don't need all the knowledge. You just need the knowledge that's appropriate to that search or that time or that personality or something. And when we kept... Uh, you know, trimming the fat and, and turning panelism into panelism, it was because it was like, no, we need to talk about books that are worth having on your shelf. Like that's yeah, the curation. Yeah. We're not doing negative reviews or like rarely do we ever want to do those. We actually, I think whenever we do one, we have a discussion beforehand of like, do we want to bad mouth this book? Because our show is really about what is worth keeping, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, hopefully that pulls us around to where... <laughs> <laughs> Did it pull us out of the? the oh yeah, no, we're we're, we're we're back on track now. Do you want to talk about our book this week, or do you want to uh, dally in a few other things before we jump into the book? Let me hit one piece of news. I'm sure you've heard this, but Comic Con has been canceled. I saw that. That that was you know not surprising, but it was a little surprising they were holding out as long as they were. I agree. And I, but I do think it, it felt like the appropriate moment, actually. Like, I had wondered why we weren't hearing news during March. And to get it last week, I thought was fully appropriate. Because, I, I mean, honestly, and as I've told the story before, like, I caught swine flu at a Comic-Con. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> in 2009. Uh, you were, you know, you're in a cramped. You're, it's not even the space that's cramped. It's that there are so many bodies there. Yeah. You are you are flesh on flesh with people with, you know, like a quarter million people that migrate to San Diego that week um, and a hundred thousand something in the convention center. And you're like, this sucks. Yeah. If, and, you know, there's just no way that like, I, you know, you're not having like what, 2000 people there with COVID-19, you know, asymptomatic mm -hmm. or something like, um, yeah, it, it it would be impossible to escape that being like a hot spot of you know, contagion. So, uh, I am relieved that the choice was made. It sounds like from the announcement, what they're going to do is allow, uh, badge holders to just transfer to next year. Same uh, thing with, um, if you bought a booth, it sounds like that will, if yeah. you wanted to transfer, you are allowed. And then anybody who had a hotel room that's being refunded. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it seems like a pretty clean and, and user-friendly decision. 
And I would imagine the last month has been a lot of negotiation to figure out. I mean, because that's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, that's to true. Figure out how to do all of that because this is you know a huge moneymaker for the city, and yeah. they have to figure out how to, you know, how to do this safely and uh, efficiently for all of those businesses. So I, I, it's a it's a big relief. I was not going to feel comfortable at San Diego Comic Con this year, and was already wondering how I was going to take precautions. So. In the nick of time, you know, if they'd waited another month, it would have been, I think it would have just been the anxiety level would have been going up like, yeah, you know, because there's no way around it. Like it's not it's not prohibitively expensive for those of us who live in Southern California. But it's still, you know, I mean, when you think about a, a few hundred bucks just for the badge, you're like, oh, man, you know, this isn't like a concert ticket that I can just sort of, you know, <laughs> like lose, <laughs> like sunk cost kind of thing. This is like, you know, this is five days of the show. So yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, yeah, that'll be, and maybe, maybe next year's the year I go. I don't know. It's, I, I I did think that I was like, you know, it'll be next year that we finally get the professional situation figured out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, now I've got this badge rolled over and it's like, ah, I finally got in as a pro. Um, whatever it's, (laughs) it'll be good. I, yeah. A relief I think is, that's my takeaway from it. Well, before we jump into a book, because I think this book is going to occupy the rest of, of yeah. our conversation, but I want to quickly touch base on uh, anything you're watching that you enjoy. I um, I found the rabbit hole over this weekend. Disney Plus has so much, as you know, so, so very much. And I got sucked into watching all, not all every episode, but a good chunk of Star Wars Rebels. Oh, really? The uh, animated series. Yeah. And I, you know, very well liked. I've I've seen glowing reviews about it. Um, a lot of people dig it, but I never really. Uh, a, I didn't realize it was on Disney Plus until recently, because oh. um, it was airing. I think on just Disney XD or whatever it was. But it's on Disney Plus. The thing that really sucked me in. Um, are you familiar with the character Admiral Thrawn? I. I actually am. You are okay. Good. <laughs> I don't so, know anything about it. It's just that that name comes up a lot. <laughs> if you're not, if you're listening, you don't know who that is. Thrawn is the blue guy in the white kind of captain's uniform you see in a lot of books and supplemental media. Well, Rebels is the first like live, you know, like not live action, but like um like filmed thing yeah. that contains him. And I you know I, I remember that was announced. I was like, well, that's cool that rebels is doing that. Cause he's a really compelling character. A lot of people who read the novels, you know, he's probably their favorite character. What it's, what sucked me in was when I heard him speak, it was, it, I, I was instantly, instantly taken. Um, I think his name is Lars Mickelson. Yes, it is. So the actor who voices Admiral Thrawn is Lars Mikkelsen. If you don't know who that is, he played Charles Augustus Magnuson, Magnuson in the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. Amazing character. He plays the um, kind of equivalent to Putin in House of Cards, and he's been in a lot of different things. He's a very tall, kind of uh, very stringy kind of actor, very good actor. But his voice is unmistakable. It is it, it it's it's kind of this very soft, raspy kind of you know Swedish or Norwegiany kind of accented huh. voice, and it's exactly it is so pitch perfect for Admiral Thrawn that I ended up like looking up on Wikipedia every single Star Wars Rebels episode featuring Admiral Thrawn, and I watched all of them. Wow! And then I finished the kind of basically finished most of season four. Um, between Friday night and yet and last night, I just binged till I was dead. Um, ama- it's an amazing show. Like the animation huh. is incredible. 
Um, if you like Clone Wars, which a lot of people do, this is a this fits nicely uh, between Clone Wars and I think they're doing a new series now called Resistance, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm. But this you know, matches that animation style. All the all the canon is 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 in there. They make a lot of references to Clone Wars that I think will make fans happy. They make a lot of references that um, the Mandalorian picks up on. Both in terms of like the dark saber and Mandalore and and a bunch of that stuff too. So it's I if you have been you know if you're I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world like I'm a fan but I'm not like a super fan. I loved I loved Rebels. It's well, great. is the it, animation style like the Clone Wars animation style? Yeah, it's that 3D and, and yeah. it's but it's really well done. Like their use of shadows and light. Some of those scenes you're looking at them like you're almost convinced that they're real real places. Um, I, like it's, it's, an, it's very well done. I, I'm honestly still processing that, uh, Lars Mikkelsen is the brother of Mads Mikkelsen, who is Galen Urso in Rogue One. Wait, they are brothers? Are yeah. you serious? Mads <laughs> Danish. Mikkelsen? Danish. Danish. Is, uh, I, I apologize. Yeah. I said, uh, yeah. They're related for real? Yeah. Who knew? How, where, are you, where are you finding this? Uh, the Google machine. He and Mads are related. I mean, they, they don't look alike really. Huh. Um, I and I didn't pursue that. I just looked up Lars to, to wow. Look there at his it face is. You're right. And God, uh, saw that's Mads holy crap. <laughs> I love Mads Mikkelsen. He's one of my favorite actors too. So yeah. that's well, they couldn't be diff- more different in terms of their uh, performances and like the characters they choose. That's fascinating. It's not like the uh, it's not like the Gleason brothers, you know, where Dommel and and Brendan and all those guys like they all look. It's obvious they're related. Yeah. Or like my other one is the. Um, uh, the stars, the scars guard yeah. gang, like they're all, you can tell yeah. they're all related. Skateboards. Yeah. These, these two guys. <laughs> um, anyway. yeah, I, I, you know, I, uh, my only follow up to that, because I, I, I don't, I don't want to get too off topic with like other shows I'm watching, but I will tell you that one of the three podcasts I'm listening to consistently is called newcomers with, uh, Lauren Lepkus and Nicole Byer. Um, two uh, comedians in LA who had never seen a Star Wars anything until earlier this year, and they are watching them in release order. So every episode of theirs is like, you know, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> Return wow, of the Jedi, and it is cracking me up. I mean, they're they're they've they're really, and it's not like they're. Uh, I, I think they're effortlessly doing this, but they are walking that line of like irreverence, you know. Like they're not worried what the the uh, the fanboys are gonna you know say about stuff. Good. And they have they have such a pure enjoyment of it, or or not enjoyment. You know, it's like it's just really funny when they when they watch it and they're like, actually, I liked Jar Jar Binks. He's my favorite character in that one, and it it's just it's just really fun. Um, but yeah, I think they're someone threatened them with like having to watch the Clone Wars or this new series that you're talking about. And they were like, oh, my God, there's cartoons of this stuff. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, you know, who was it? We were talking, I think maybe offline. Who was it that did a dub of um, A New Hope? And then but they made it such that Jar Jar always spoke Gungan. And suddenly that character makes way more sense. Like when they, they took this. away his like English, they just basically made it like they put like uh, English subtitles, but they basically had somebody overdub the voice which is like you know gungan speak that's not and a like, topher grace's thing is it I, it might be so if you don't know topher grace edited together all three of them is that right like I, a new hope not a new hope but um clone wars through revenge right. of the sith the, 
the prequels he made into one movie. One solid movie that kind of focuses more on Obi-Wan as like the main character. And it's apparently that's amazing. Oh, does sorry. In things. his edit, there is no Jar Jar. Well, that's fine too. Or but like Jake if, Lloyd. If, <laughs> if you're going to have Jar Jar though, like all of a sudden that makes like nine numb never had like some crazy, like, Oh, nine numb. It was just like, he's, you know, he speaks whatever the English or the, the yeah. language was. And there's like English subtitles. Jar Jar suddenly makes sense. Like, I think it's on YouTube. You can just go see, like yeah. all the Gungans speak Gungan, and it makes infinitely more sense than to try to have some a cockamamie like you know hokey. Yeah, accent. that weird uh, Chet Hanks patois. Yes, yes. <laughs> hey, one more for you. We talked in our last episode about this amazing little show called Devs that's on Hulu and I think FX, but who cares? Like Hulu is the main place. <laughs> um, it has since ended, and oh my god. And I, uh, I, this is actually shocking news to me that you revealed right before the podcast. Yeah, you thought it was I, four episodes or something. Right. I had pitched it to you as being on the stay-at-home playlist. I had watched those first three episodes over the first three weeks. Episode four came out. And for some reason, I had in my brain that that was the conclusion. Oh and and I was like, you know what? I'm not ready for it now. And it was just one of those weeks of just, you know, all the anxiety and everything. And I was like, I just... I'm not going to watch the, this dystopian vision wrap up this week. And then right before we recorded today, you're like, oh, so you've watched all seven episodes. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's eight total. I think so. I think it's eight. Okay. Yeah. But it's over. Like, it's done now is what you're saying. It is done. And it's not – it's one of those shows where there won't be a sequel. It's not like season two. It's like, no, 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 no. This was like Watchmen. It was just one vision of Alex Garland. Um, I'm not going to say anything because if you haven't watched past episode three, holy get ready. Yeah. Um, there is so much more. I will, all all I'll say is this, it would be interesting to see what this would look like if somebody edited all eight down into like a solid tight three hour movie. Yeah. I think it would work better because there, there's a lot of amazing scenes, but there's a lot of kind of filler that, yeah. There already was in three episodes. Yeah. And then the character of Lily, like, you know, that actress isn't the strongest actress in the world. And you you find yourself more and more caring less about her and more about everything involving Nick Offerman and Katie mm. and, and the devs team itself. Like the more they get into that whole thing and, and, you know, the people who work in devs, it's like, that's all you care about. So it's, uh, you know, and, and Lily, she, her character does have relevance in the end anyway. So it's, it's good that she's there, but there are if you want to go down a deep rabbit hole, get on Reddit and go to the devs subreddit. Oh boy. Jeez, it talk about heady. Like I just stop I just stopped doing that completely in addition to stopping some of these podcasts because <laughs> they talk about determinism at such a high level that like I'm like, I don't I don't know if even Alex Garland intended that to be right. the case. Like remember back when Lost was going on, all of the crazy fan theories and people getting really into the weeds and I was one of them. Um, about, you know, like life and death and good and evil and all like this, that looks like a child's party yeah, compared yeah. to the discussion on devs. It's like, it's at such a high level. You almost need a doctorate just to participate. It's pretty crazy. Interesting. But well, I've I will gotta, say, oh, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I wrap up on devs. Cause I've I was just going to say, if you haven't seen it, if you're listening, you're like devs, what is that? Go to Hulu, start watching it. Yeah. You will not be sorry. Here's my pitch. Imagine if the show Silicon Valley was written and directed by David Lynch. That. It's funny because oh. I was going to say, what if the social network had been written? <laughs> that too. That too. Yeah. It's, um, it is. And I say, David, I mean, I could even say, I'll throw my boy Joe Dorowski in there too. Like the visuals are so 
amazingly beautiful. And like, if you liked Ex Machina, um, which Alex Garland did, like this, this isn't a sequel to Ex Machina, but it could easily play in that same headspace. I would say it's almost like in the same universe. You know, there is a. There's probably a theory about that, right? (laughs) I'll say, I'll say definitively, the show does not acknowledge that. But yeah. there are enough things that happen where you're, and there's something that happens kind of at the end that you're like, oh, you could almost make it, you you could really make believe and and legitimately pretend that they're in the same universe. Anyway, anyway. Um, I, you know, uh, uh, speaking with a uh, my friend Todd Kemp um, about the you know anxiety producing playlists versus anything to relieve anxiety, he mentioned watching Star Trek the original series, which is a thing. Brace yourself that I have never watched. Um, and so I, I've actually gone into it and, uh, I haven't gotten very far, but it's, it is quite enjoyable to just watch sci-fi. That's not about this dystopian, terrible future, you know, <laughs> or and, it doesn't have and, to have like some seriously intellectual bent for you to appreciate. Well, it but, but I mean, you can, you can start pulling in the intellectual bent on that kind of stuff. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not not heady. It's just done in a very different, you know. Yeah, but there weren't any style. dribbles showing up in in Devs, right? Like it, there's <laughs> a little furry triple. Sorry, yeah, little furry creatures yeah. popping up and down. It's I, like no, no, no. You know, another thing, and I'm sorry to to keep extending this section of our show, but I, I also wanted to drop. Um, you and I have mentioned tons of image stuff, image comic stuff over the years, and we have always liked that. What Image usually does is puts volume one of a series, they sell it for $9.99. So it's mm-hmm. like you you, you kind of have a, a $10 investment to see if you like a series. And then subsequent volumes are usually like $14.99 or $19.99. But, you know, you can get an intro for, for very little. They have got so many volume ones on Comixology Unlimited right now. So mm-hmm. basically for five bucks, you could join comics. I think it's $5.99. Join for a month. Read so many image volume one, see what series you want to follow and determine if it's worth that to continue your unlimited subscription. I just, and, and not only image, there's like, there's just a bunch of, of good comics to get into on, um, on unlimited right now. And it's obviously like, you know, they're, they're curating this for people that have, you know, a little bit more time on their hands to stay at home and read stuff. So, um, sorry if that sounds like a tangent, but maybe that's a good segue no. into talking about a comic book. What's good about here's here's my pitch for Comicsology Unlimited, um, get it and then try before you buy, right? Yeah, you can get, I, you get thirty days or something, right? Then, or seven days or whatever. Well, if you end up liking a series, then go just buy the trade paperback at your local comic book shop as exactly. like a souvenir, as the as the as the memento the artifact. Of that. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 sometimes, as we've discussed numerous times, the cover flow or page flow um, on Comicsology is great for some titles, and some titles you the actual physical artifact is a better read. So it's kind of fun to compare and contrast. I say all that just because I really, I want people to continue to think about and support their local comic shops during this time. Yeah. 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 And, and great point. I'm uh, thank you for bringing that back to that. I, but um, yeah, you know, if you need to put more things in your TBR pile, (laughs) Oh Jesus. But so we, I just love that you suggested this book for today because you sent this book to me. Um, a year ago, more uh, like a year ago, Christmas, I think. Um, yeah, somewhere around there. And w- so I have a physical copy. I'm assuming you have a physical copy. I do. Uh, it's a Fantagraphics book by Eleanor Davis called Why Art? Question mm-hmm. mark. And um, yeah, it, it's such an enjoyable 
like it's like a fun read, but it it pulls you into some stuff. And I, it, it was just a great suggestion to like, you know, cleanse the palate. <laughs> yeah. Want me to do the back of the book? Yeah, do it. So this is and and by the way, shout out to Floating World Comics in Portland, Oregon, who where I grabbed my copy and then was inspired to give Todd his. Like this was sitting on their main shelf, and oh my god, this that store is incredible. Um, on the back of it says, "Why art? What is it? What is it for?" That's it. No, that's not. It. These are <laughs> questions that have vexed scholars and historians, makers of art and lovers of art since the beginning of civilization. What color is art? Can beautiful art be ugly? Can ugly art be beautiful? Does art distort life, mirror it, or duplicate it? Does art have a taste? In Why Art, we are guided through a metaphysical journey where the mysteries and regenerative properties of art are put to the test. Anyone who believes or wants to believe in art as a force will welcome this witty and ardent book by the critically lauded and award-winning cartoonist Eleanor Davis. And from that, like that sounds like you're about to get an intellectual treatise on art, you know, possibly explored through art and like... Not that you're not, but I, I feel like you get that and you, and it's a little compact book. Like it's not trade paperback size. It's, you know, it's, uh, what is this? Like, you know, four inches wide by five inches tall. You know, it's not quite a pocket size, but it's a little book. And you think, oh man, what is going to be in this? And the first page is why art? Before we can answer that question, let's explore some examples of different kinds of artwork. The most basic category of artwork is of course, color. And then you flip the page and there is a black and white drawing of some objects and it says orange artworks. (laughs) (laughs) And then the opposite page, different, uh, uh, you know, different pieces of art also in black and white blue ones. Mm -hmm. And I, Mm -hmm. I, it is, I remember reading that like when you sent it to me and instantly knowing like, oh, I got it. I get the vibe of this book. You know, it's like you, it, it winks at you from the, from the second page in there. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I, I, I don't know if I'm wrong for saying it's fun, but for me, um, it is fun up until the last 10 pages or so. And I don't, I, we, we, I guess we have to describe a bit of it, but it's really hard. Cause it's not, a it's neither a treatise nor is it like a narrative, but it, it sort is, of is, but oh. here's the best way to, I mean, you could give this book to a 10 year old and they would get it. They, they would have their own interpretation of it, but they would get it just as easily or as quickly as you and I, or as an 80 year old would get it. Like I, it's yeah. so accessible in that regard, both in terms of the, the text, but also the drawings are very, I don't want to yeah. say crude. They're just, they're hand drawing and they're not, you know, it's, it's very much to sort of make the point and get out of the way. Right. They're not like building these elaborate, uh, you know, environments and everything. It's, it's very much, yeah. um, it almost kind of has like a flip, a flip book, feel to it you know where if you quickly yeah. like you know flip the pages you almost kind of has that that sort of vibe to it but it's just it is i, I wouldn't bristle against saying it's fun it is fun like that's I, one of the reasons I, I liked it i love the the fact that you started with like 10 year old because there's so many points at which i was reading it and uh didn't have that exact thought but but drew comparisons to the book uh uh, everyone's a alien when you're a alien yes. too or yes. by a uh, jomney son like i, I there's the simple style, you know, it's these, uh, curvy, very like intentionally two dimensional images. Like it's nothing's rendered to, to look three dimensional or fool you. And, you know, any, (laughs) you know, there's no, uh, Trump loyal going on there. It's like just flat cartoons, you know, Mm -hmm. black and white throughout. Um, 
and exaggerated features, you know, like really long legs or really short torsos or, you know, giant heads or small heads or whatever. Um, and I, I felt like you, you, you go through a few pages and it's sort of, you're kind of wondering where it's going to go. Cause it's talking about artworks and, you know, but there are these kinds of artworks. There are large artworks. There are small artworks. And then all of a sudden it pulls you into the story about these artists that turns into um, like an examination of the artistic creative process without mm -hmm. really talking about that on the, it's real to me, it's just, um, uh, it's, it, it's like all the, the why art of this is all subtext to what happens after that. And, yeah. and I think that's the fun part too, is cause you, you kind of feel like you're getting set up for the first, maybe third of the book. And then you get pulled into this <laughs> weird little surreal story. Um, that, well, that's the, that's to me the the hat trick of this book is yeah. it itself is a beautiful surrealist exercise in our, it, as an artistic act while also delivering to you that context in a very, very accessible way. Like this brought me back to my intro to art history or just intro to like visual art in college classes that I, I used to have to take. Like it, it encapsulates like an entire semester into a nice little book. And it talks about everything from, from format and medium to commercial appeal to, you know, independent art, uh, you know, things that, you know, you want to make just because you want to make it, you know, other people's interpretation of that thing, yeah. um, how the system can like spit you out and just all of that stuff is there, but it's not, it's not like, you know, it's, it doesn't push it in your face. It's just like you said, it's all kind of subtext. It's, it sort of floats around you. So you, you can think as, as effortlessly or as hard about it as you want and be equally yeah. rewarded. I, I, I like that because it's a, you can read it as like just a goofy story or you can read it as a metaphor or you, you know, like, yeah, it just, and, and it's, you're totally right. Like that's all like sleight of hand. Yeah. Like how, yeah. how are you doing this? I, I mean, I was just really, um, I, I was just really entertained and amused and like uh, all of those good things when reading this. And I, and I think more so because it starts out with this like absurdist, premise of like you know classifying art by color or size or something and you're like mm -hmm. everybody knows that's not what makes art you know you know it just seemed so like uh elementary or something like mm -hmm. <laughs> where are we going with this um and it has this once you get through the story uh not to give anything uh, about the details of that i guess but this theme of the recursiveness of the creative process comes up of like, you're creating something that will be destroyed mm -hmm. so that you can create something from the, the pieces of it that, you know, came from the destruction. So you can, you know, and then where is the artist in that process? Is the artist, is the artist like the, um, the object that's, or I'm sorry, not object is that, you know, are we the subject creating the art or are we the object that's being created? Like, is our mm -hmm. art actually us? Yeah. And we are we are just an observer to the real us. And I I mean <laughs> I'll let you take it from there on anything you think of. But it's, oh, um, well, and, and you're you're touching on something else. I kind of alluded to it, but this whole thing could very well be a giant piece of poetry. 
Yeah. Like, it, you know, it's, it's telling a story. Yes. It's providing context and insight into the artistic process as well as artistic consumption. But it re it, as I'm flipping through it now, like it has a very poetic quality to it. There's Even like a like, Shel Silverstein vibe there too. Yes. Oh, that's exactly. That's a, I'd never uh, put that together. I, I exactly hadn't either till you said poetry, but you're that inspired me to say that yeah yeah it's like if a, if a french self shell silverstein wanted to do like an entire like you know book about art and it's a pretty it's a lengthy little book you know it goes quickly you can you yeah. can probably get through it in you know anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour depending on how fast you want to go through it but um you know it's it but you can get i mean i've read it through it at least three or four times and i have a di i take away something different each time and even yeah. if i'm just feeling like overwhelmed about, you know, consuming all this stuff, kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. Um, or if I'm, you know, if I just feel like, Oh, I've seen enough, you know, I've already been to enough museums. I'm good. I don't really feel that. But if I did, I'd pull this book yeah. out and just immediately fall in love with the art world all over again. Yeah. I, I'll tell you another thing it reminds me of, and I'm, I'm so glad you said poetry because I literally would not have made these connections. Um, when I was younger, uh, not knowing much at all about the Beatles, I bought this collection of John Lennon's poetry that had his sort of hand-drawn little cartoons in it, which were just like very simple and, you know, just line drawings, really flat. And looking at why art again, I'm like, oh yeah, it's all in that school of like, we're thinking about deep things with almost silly drawings about mm -hmm. them, you know? Um, and I love the, and even though we say surrealism in this, I think the way she talks about, art and describes it is also talking about that magical process of it or like how it makes you feel like it's magical. And then for her to represent that in some magical fa fashion, for example, I just flipping through and thinking about that, I, I landed on that page of uh, there's a little description of dioramas and making very small art. And this one artist that makes dioramas. And then there's a picture of a guy who's tried to crawl into the diorama yeah. and it's only like his butt and legs hanging out. It's like as if the other three and a half feet of his body or something yeah, got yeah. into this tiny box. And I j you know, that's so shell Silverstein. It's so like, um, uh, surrealist. And I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, I I'm hesitating on describing it, you know, by the, like, but there's a Picasso ish nature to some of the way mm. her drawings are, you know, where, um, you know, dimensions are flipped or like, you know, this, this face appears flat or something. And yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised this isn't, available in every gallery or you know, museum of note. It should be. Go to. It should. I mean, it's a great, like, again, I, I probably repeating myself too many times, but I look forward to giving this to a kid and be like, yeah. Hey, here's like, if I had this when I was in sixth grade, let's just say my life, I, I would have probably appreciated a lot more, a lot sooner because Man, it really great. gives me that. It gives you that context in a, in, in such a, you, I mean, it, it's, it's very, it's so accessible that you feel yeah. good reading it. And then you're like, I'm enlightened now. I don't necessarily know why, but I'm, I, you know, I'm open to the possibility of artistic expression more than I would have been. Like I would have probably gotten into a lot more interesting stuff earlier on had I had this as a kid. Um, but now as an adult, I have it. And it's like, it just re, you know, it kind of reinforces my, you know, where my perception is now and just makes me all the more open to new stuff anyway. So it's, yeah. you know, I agree. I, and yeah, it's, it's so approachable and it makes you realize like, and especially if you get that subtext, I, I, you know, I wonder if a 10 year old would get 
the the humor in it but especially if you get that like that it is teasing about art while also being art you know it's you it it's not, it's not only the book that's accessible but it's telling you art can be accessible yeah it's kind of like shrek right it's you know adults laugh at shrek for very different reasons than the kids laugh at shrek and they're neither of them are wrong but they you know it cleverly builds these jokes in that are perceived one way and then and, you know a different way when you're a little older so it's like it's kind of kind of reminds me of that but that's i should stop and say that's not necessarily an easy thing to do um you know we kind of you can kind of be flipping about it and say, Oh yeah, you know, a lot of you know movies and stuff do that. But that's really not, I mean, to make something that all ages that, you know, eight to 80 is a, gets thrown out a lot. You know, when, when people are designing stuff like this has to work for people eight to 80, this book is a, a great eight to 80 book. And it's yeah. like, you can continue to get, um, you know, new value out of it. I don't, I don't think there's anything more to say without I, spoiling or, you know, henpecking exactly. pages, which I don't think is necessary here, but yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's a book with named characters in it, but they're not, they're, you know, I, it's, the, the, the characters themselves are part of the metaphor and the symbolism. So yep. it's, you know, yeah, exactly. It's hard for us to talk about the characters or something. Um, it's not built in any narrative way like that, like where you need their backstory or something. Um, I would just say, uh, and please chime in on this, like there is, no reason i don't even know if a digital version exists but there is no reason to own this digitally like this is an artifact that should be in your house period. yeah it's funny you asked that. i was literally looking that up as you, right before you said that it is it is available on comiXology and kindle if you want it but i would i would echo I, that and highly recommend the physical copy if you can get a hand, your hands on it and as, as there's so much in it that is talking about the physical experience of art or yep. the experience you're having when physically standing in front of an artwork, whether it's the guy trying to climb into the diorama or there's one of the, the deep dark truths where this guy's just standing in front of this black, you know, rectangle painting mm -hmm. that's reminding him of the, the dark truths. Like you're, you're reading that as you're holding an artifact, like staring at it, you know? Yeah. And I just yeah. don't think you're going to have that, that experience as, you know, uh, compressed as it is because of this small book, like you're not going to have that in a digital version. So yeah, I mean, and it's a Fantagraphics, which means like it's, you know, it's really cool looking and it's, yeah, it's this Fantagraphics, great size. If, if you're not aware, they're in the same league as Drawn and Quarterly. Like they oh, do yeah, exactly. Stuff. They do very good stuff. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it in physical. Um, if you can't, for some reason, get physical stuff uh, where you are at this time, grab the digital, but then get the physical anyway, because you're going to want it. Um, but, yeah, why art? Eleanor Davis. Um Great little graphic novel. Yeah, thank and, you uh, for recommending we talk about it, and thank you for sending me this copy so long ago. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool book that um, I'm happy to have on the in the coffee table um, pile. <laughs> I was trying so hard not to call it a pile. In the I coffee know, table arrangement. There you go. <laughs> coffee table arrangement of books. Uh, yeah, my very delicate, my deliberately chosen arrangement of books that happens to be on my coffee table. Could be any table, but just happens to be on my yeah. coffee Unlike the other books, it has been read. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I didn't want to say it's in the TBR, you know that, but um, it's it's not a book that I, I am going to keep on my shelf. It's a book mm -hmm. that's going to be on a table or like on top of the you know it's it's meant for someone who comes to my house to go, what is this, and pick it up and flip through it. Yeah, I also picture it as being one of those books where I'm very soon going to have to buy my own copy again because this will walk out the door with someone. Like I'll be like, yeah. no, 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 take it home. You got to read it. Yeah. You know, 
So uh, as you should. That's that's a great exactly. point. This is one of the most giftable. That's what I mean. Yeah, I didn't exactly hesitate right. to send you a copy. I'm like, oh, Todd's gonna want this. It's it's easy. It's unintrusive. It's you know, boom, and just keep sending yeah. it to people. Yeah. Um, cool. Great suggestion. And uh, as always, and in fact, we have tr- we have tried we have labored this past month to make sure that we are accessible on every platform. Um, you can yes. find panelism on all sorts of podcast platforms and at panelism.inc. Um, please let us know if you have any problems with any of those. Best way to get in touch with us is to follow our Instagram, which is panelism.inc as well. Um, I don't know if there's any other plugs that need to be plugged. I don't think so. Not at, not at this juncture. We'll have more more for you next week. And yeah, yeah. stay safe. Please continue uh, sheltering in place and, you know, listening to the scientists. Yeah. <laughs> Medical professionals. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And j- stay safe out there. Enjoy. Happy reading. And we'll uh, yeah, we'll be back next week.